to the Andrea K show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Cause I'm TNT, I'm dynamite. TNT, and I will not fight. TNT, I'm a power load. TNT, watch me explode. <laughs> I am so glad to be back with you guys after a Fourth of July break, much needed Fourth of July break. But I'm not sure I'm a hundred and few pounds of dynamite in a dress after all the ribs and pie. I just gorged myself, not just on 4th of July and beyond, but uh, joining me in the studio, as always, for the AK Show is none other than DJ Okay, you kind of stepped on my line there, brother. You got a, you got a little premature. You elongated the carrot sticks. <laughs> I was trying to hit my mark. Yeah, well, you did. You hit it over, baby. How was your fourth? It was great. You know, they redid uh, for about four years or so. They haven't done the fireworks at Lake Murray. And they, they did them again this year. And that's where my aunt and uncle uh, used to live. Now my cousin lives in their house. And so all my whole family went out there. Aww. My grandma, my aunt, and everybody. So it was awesome. Oh, nice. Good times. Well, the, the, we didn't see have any fireworks at my house beyond just the spicy ribs. You know how to impress. Here's my tip. If you want to impress people on 4th of July for great barbecue, do what I do. Order from the best barbecue joint in town. And then you just mark on top of the box. Hey, you know, AK special ribs, <laughs> um, but I did make my side dishes from scratch. Um, but anyway, glad to have you all here with me. We got a mountain of topics to get through. Let's start with the mountain from a molehill that continues with the stupid Russian collusion crackpot story. I am so glad Cheryl Atkinson is going to be on the Andrea K Show today because she's got a book coming out that talks about how the media is literally playing mind control games on the American voter. And there is no better story that exemplifies this. Control the message and you control minds. No better story than here we come again on the heels, no coincidence, I might add, on the heels of an incredibly successful European Trump in which a visit in which President Trump gave an amazing speech, a speech like nothing we've heard since the great Ronald Reagan was in office, as well as other successes uh, from uh, the jobs that were created that far exceeded expectations in June. We've got a ceasefire that was negotiated in Syria. These successes are all being drowned out right now intentionally with the latest fake news story involving supposed collusion with Donald Trump Jr., who took a meeting with somebody who offered him some opposition research information. Hey, you know what? Of course he took the meeting. I would be so disappointed if I found out that they had McCained their campaign. Because remember when John McCain, not only did he not accept any opposition research in, in 08, he literally refused to allow Sarah Palin or anybody within his campaign to speak the truth about the known facts about who President Obama was. And we ended up getting stuck with eight years of President Obama. And we are suffering today. And President Trump is doing everything he can do today to try to overturn the eight years of misery that has been foisted on the American people. I got uh, Congressman Hunter uh, Issa is going to be on the show in a few minutes to talk about how the Republican Congress is going to somehow undo the tentacles of disaster that is Obamacare. But what do we have today with Republicans piling on this ridiculous, stupid Donald Trump Jr. story? Of course, he took the meeting. I would be disappointed to find out that they didn't. And th- but then, of course, 
in true non-journalistic fashion, we find out today that there's still no evidence to support this, that there was any collusion because there was supposedly an email that was described to the New York Times that supposedly nobody's seen. But what do we do know? Speaking of documents that have been seen, we now know, and I think this is another reason why this story is broken, we now know that James Comey, who gave Hillary a pass on her reckless dispensation of classified information, we now know that his nine memos in which he documented President Trump were, uh, of the nine memos, I think seven of them now had classified information. And even the ones that didn't, the one that he supposedly leaked to his friend from the New York Times, he still, according to the policies of the FBI, had no business leaking that government document. He came before Congress, lied again and said that they were personal documents when Congress has come out and said, no, those were government documents. And nobody's talking about that today. No Republicans are talking about that today. What have we learned of crimes that have been committed with this Russian collusion story. None. What we do know, according to our own National Security Council, is there have been 125 leaks since President Trump took office. One of the chief leakers, at least of his own government documents, which he has now handed back over to Special Counsel Mueller, who should have never been appointed. We now know that those were classified. Now, Comey, his measurement which was not based in law, he gave Hillary pass saying that she didn't have any intent to distribute the classified information. There was no intent here. Okay, Comey, well, first of all, there doesn't need to be any intent under the Espionage Act, but we know you had intent, Comey. We know you had intent. You admitted before Congress you intended to give these documents, at least one of them, to somebody to give to the media. That is against the law. And even by his own... Not only did he intend to share it, but he intended to do harm to the sitting president of the United States of America who was free and fairly elected. And nobody's talking about it today. No, we got this little weasel guy, Benson, and the spawn of, you know, I'm not even going to get into it here, piling on joining the Democrats in this. It is shameful. We're going to take a break, though. When we come back, we're going to get into some real stories of what some people should be talking about, even beyond Comey. And what he did with his classified documents, we've got to get into the, the number one reason or one of the top issues in the 2014 election and in the presidential election in 2016 that the voters actually cared about. And it was the repeal of Obamacare. So we're going to take a quick break. We come back. I'm pleased to have uh, back with me on the Andrea K. Show, Congressman Daryl Issa. You don't want to miss it. Be sure to follow Andrea Kay on Twitter at Andrea Kay Show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea Kay, spelled K-A-Y-E. Home buying and selling can be a daunting and stressful experience. It will likely be the biggest financial purchase of your life. Hi, I'm Julie Mills Brennan, and I've been selling homes in San Diego for over 20 years. I've seen the market in its highs and in its lows, and through the years, I've immersed myself in nearly every market area. I realize that anyone can find you a house. I want to find you a home, a home that you will build great memories in. Call me or text me at 619-992-7113. Call me today. I would be honored to help you find your dream home. 
Statistics have shown that at some point you will die. In fact, I could die during this commercial. Now that I have your attention, this is tax and estate planning attorney Rod Hatley of the Hatley Law Group. Because life happens, it makes sense to have an estate plan in place much the same way you probably have life insurance to provide for your family. An estate plan is a set of instructions for how you want your assets to be passed on in a way that works for you and your loved ones. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back to The Andrea K Show. Glad to have you all here with me. I'm especially glad to have my next guest coming on to talk about what I think is the biggest story of the day. Not this this mess going on with Donald Trump Jr. Joining me to talk about um, health care and health insurance and where it stands with the Republican Party is San Diego Congressman Daryl Issa. Hey, Congressman, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks for having me back on. And yes, uh, they one is occupying a lot of the news and the other uh, is occupying a lot of our lives. And I, I think you're exactly right to focus on one that is affecting so many Californians and San Diegans. Yeah, it certainly affected affected me actually personally because I lost my, my health care company that I had years ago that I had great coverage with, uh, left California because they didn't want to be in the marketplace here. Um, and here we are, though. It seemed pretty simple because for seven years, we Republicans knew this Obamacare thing was going to be a disaster. Once it finally got implemented, of course, that was after billions of dollars were spent on that horrible website. Remember all that? People tend to forget some of the disasters that, that went along the way, even just to get it implemented before we even felt the pain of it once it was. Um, but it seems simple because it was we're going to repeal it, repeal, repeal, repeal. And then, of course, the voters gave the power to the Republican Party in the House, both houses of Congress and the White House. But it's not it's not always so simple and so easy once you get the power to do it. Correct. Well, in Washington, it's not always easy to keep a promise you made. We made a promise uh, that includes all the senators. Uh, every one of them, had, every Republican has stood for election during the six years uh, that intervened between uh, uh, the passage of Affordable Care Act and now. And every one of them had pledged that this tax, including the, uh, the tax on medical devices, was wrong and needed mm-hmm. to be repealed. And everyone wanted to return choice. Plenty of us talked, rightfully so, about uh, still dealing with uh, pre-existing conditions and, mm-hmm. and some of the other provisions that nobody objects to, or at least most people don't. But those two promises are the promises that are being broken right now in the Senate. Senators are focusing on what they don't like about the bill rather than the core question of, was it right to expand Medicaid, a single-payer system, well beyond any of its historic uh, or necessary purposes? And why did we have to take away your choice of having a a medical plan, uh, insurance plan that you chose Mm -hmm. that was available when there was more choice? And if we don't continue to work on this and pass something, those two promises will be lost. The tax one we can deal with again and again over the years, perhaps. But the the reality that you don't have choice Mm -hmm. in health care insurance, because the Affordable Care Act said, no, one size fits all. Here's more or less the government solution. That one uh, will disappear forever, I fear. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it, it should be all about choice. And I, I'm, I'm confused as to why Senator Cruz had to come up with an amendment to make it possible for me to be able to choose a policy. There, there was a few mandates that were a problem as a part of Obamacare. One was the mandate that you had to purchase something at all. 
um, yes, I have to purchase automobile insurance, but only to cover somebody else's car. I don't have to, you know, if, if I hit somebody on the road, I don't have to cover complete coverage on my own car. If, if I get into an accident and I end up having to, uh, you know, take the bus because I didn't get enough coverage to cover my own car, you know, that should be my own choice. Um, but, but so we had the individual mandate that you had to purchase it at all. Then we have the mandate involving what type of policy you have to purchase. I, again, I'm, uh, we're being forced to purchase policies. And it seems as though under even under the new plan, unless we adopt Senator Cruz's amendment, unless you guys do, uh, you still are forced to buy a policy that covers more than what you want. And it's meant really because it's about an income redistribution scheme, because I've got to purchase a policy that covers more than I want to make sure that other people can get what they want, even if I don't want to pay for that. Then we've got the business mandates. So um, how do we come up with So the end question ends up being, how do we deliver choice to the people while still giving these um, coverages for some people that not everybody needs? Does my question make sense? It does. And and I'll give you uh, a good hypothetical. Uh, You mentioned uh, this insurance, the fact that you you have to insure your car against a damage to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can make a decision to to accept a burden up to and including the entire cost of your car. In other words, it gets lost or stolen right. uh, or damaged. You're saying, you know what, I'm perfectly willing to call and have it hauled away, and it's my problem. The same needs to be available in healthcare. Uh, could we uh, have a discussion about who insures the catastrophic? What happens if somebody becomes uh, unable to work? Well, we could and we should and we have. Mm-hmm. Medicaid, for example, and Social Security Disability, these are programs that are safety nets that you and I pay into mm-hmm. in order to have that safety net. And if somebody wants to expand that safety net, let's have a discussion about it. But the idea that you must, as you say, cross-subsidize mm-hmm. other, other people, you look and say, well, wait a second. They're covered if they're indigent. They're covered if they're elderly. They're covered if they become disabled. And yet we wanted to have a system that said, well, even if you make $60,000 for a family of four, we still want to have some cost shifting. And by the way, even if you're completely in a private program, we want you to cost shift for other people in Mm -hmm. private programs. That is where Senator Cruz and I agree on a lot and disagree on occasions. But this is one in which Senator Cruz gets it exactly right, except for where there is a compelling need for those who cannot. Mm -hmm. We need to say government must keep its hands off your choice. And. You know, if uh, if we want to say that everyone in America needs to have a fallback position that they pay into in case they become infirmed mm-hmm. or have a catastrophic event, great. But currently, under historic law, that's why we pay into Social Security, including mm-hmm. its disability. It's why we pay into Medicaid. It's why we pay into these programs that have that existed before President Obama came along and told us we didn't have a safety net. Right. And that's why we have to get back to the basics. As we go back to the basics, we can fashion a bill that gives the American people choice that stops this force shifting. And it goes back to answering the question, who needs public assistance Mm -hmm. because they're unable to take care of themselves? And if we do that, Medicaid expansion will be dramatically reduced, Mm -hmm. but Medicaid will not go away. Social Security will not go away. Medicare will not go away, but they'll be solvent. 
and the American people will have choice again. Well, that's what we need. You know, and I don't think there's anybody conservatives out there that don't think that we should have a safety net um, for, you know, the least among us. But what the Medicare Medicaid rolls got expanded because the middle class got pushed onto the Medicaid rolls because choice went away or because the employer mandates made it impossible for, you know, uh, an employer to continue to provide insurance. And it was all really meant as a stepping stone to get to single payer. And so <clears throat> to me, it almost seems as though it's still a little too big. And my question for you would be, how about this as an idea? How about if the if the issue is, first of all, I don't understand, you know, having to, in you know, insurance company, having to cover somebody up to the age of 26, that's not a child, that's an adult. You know, if you're, if you're capable of serving the military at 18, you know, then, then you're an adult. And so to me, I would take that provision out, even though I know President Trump mentioned that as a campaign promise. For those with pre-existing conditions, um, you know, I think that can't we just separate them out instead of affecting 300 million people for the, what, 10 million or however have pre-existing conditions, put them into a completely separate thing and then let the rest of us have free market options. Why don't we do that? Well, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But let me let me give you perhaps a thought that, that I've been talking to my colleagues about. Um, the word pre-existing condition implies something that I think we should push completely out of the way. It's about portability. If you choose to be insured uh, because you have a choice and then you something afflicts you, you, something occurs, you develop diabetes, whatever it happens to be, uh, then in fact, your problem is you're currently insured, but what if your insurance cancels? What if your company lays you off? Mm -hmm. That's a question that your listeners want answered, which is, I've been, I've been doing the right thing. I've had my insurance, but now uh, they either want to cancel me, they want to raise it to where it's too high, or I, I'm stuck in this job and can never leave. Right. That is exactly what I think Republicans should work on, which mm -hmm. is, if you put it in the, the words of, in, of life insurance, there's a little bit of whole life in health insurance, but most of it's term. Right. We can deal with that. But the first thing that was wrong with Obamacare, and it was dead wrong, is if you chose, chose not to have insurance until you got sick, they gave you full coverage at the protected rate, rather than saying, you know what, if you choose to do an irresponsible thing, mm -hmm. there should be a penalty. And those penalties exist in the law. And I'll just give you quickly one example. If you do not sign up for Medicare at age 65 and you wait to get health care until you, until you feel you need it, there's a 30% penalty that has been in Medicare mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. And nobody thinks it's unreasonable because you're supposed to sign up or there's a financial penalty. So I think that, that those kinds of historic procedures mm -hmm. can be in the bill. But to simply say that Everyone has to cover everything, including when somebody chose not to have insurance and now comes there and has financial means but doesn't want to pay. That's where I think there's, there's a healthy dialogue. Right. And again, if you get to the basic truth, these things are fixable. But one of the problems is people in the Senate have amnesia. They've forgotten that they agreed to repeal the tax, period. Yeah. And they've forgotten 
that they agreed that Americans should have choice, they seem to forget those two things. Well, I agree with you. And I and choice to me is the key. And I think if you want to keep people, I think in addition to penalties, I think you've got to make it policies really affordable for people to make sure that they're in insurance and they're in the marketplace and they're getting maybe some checkups and preventative maintenance. Make it affordable. If you if you make it so a 24-year-old has to buy an insurance policy that costs $1,000 a month because they got to cover everything in the world, whether or not they want it. And um, but but it's because they got to you. You need the young people to help cover other people. It's just it's not going to work. They would rather pay the penalty. And I think so. I think that we ought to be able to provide health insurance options, uh, open up state lines. We ought to be able to offer health insurance options that are kind of like my home. You know, I don't I don't have homeowners insurance that covers every time my toilet clogs or I have a leaky faucet. You know, I have it, you know, to cover catastrophic. And I also don't have to cover my neighbor's roof or my neighbors if they want to, you know, remodel and expand because they've decided to, you know, have five kids. Now I've got to cover their home. So fine. last exactly question for you. Right. You've, yeah. chosen, you've chosen to, to partially self-insure. That's something that, that most, you know, certainly middle-class Californians would like to be able to do is to mm-hmm. figure out what they're willing to absorb uh, and, and in return what they get to save. But if, you, if you're willing to absorb but you get no savings, of course, you're going to end up like everyone else saying, well, I want what I want. And that's how you get to single payer. And that's always been what the Affordable Care Act was about, is getting us to single payer, which I don't think uh, my constituents want uh, no. you know, time and time again, even the left that protested my, mm-hmm. my uh, district office. They say they don't want, most of them say they don't want single payer. Some mm-hmm. do. And it's because what they want is good health care and affordable price. And that's what we're trying to do here in Washington. Do you think it will get done? Uh, you know, having faith in the Senate is always always puts you in for disappointment. But I believe that when most of those senators really evaluate what they're doing by their inaction, that they will get to something. I may not like it, mm-hmm. but anything that gives the American people more choice and allows the private sector to work better, I'm going to support. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Congressman Issa. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank All you. Right. You, sir. Okay. Now, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to pick it up talking more about fake news um, on the other side of the break. Uh, I think that um, I'm still, I want to see what ends up happening and what the final health care bill looks like before I say whether or not I'm for it against it, because sometimes I think doing nothing is better than doing the wrong thing. So we'll see. But stay tuned. More Andrea K. Show coming right back up. Want more Andrea K? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea K Show and like her Facebook page at Andrea K, spelled K A Y E. Home buying and selling can be a daunting and stressful experience. It will likely be the biggest financial purchase of your life. Hi, I'm Julie Mills Brennan, and I've been selling homes in San Diego for over 20 years. I've seen the market in its highs and in its lows, and through the years, I've immersed myself in nearly every market area. I realize that anyone can find you a house. I want to find you a home, a home that you will build great memories in. Call me or text me at 619-992-7113. Call me today. I would be honored to help you find your dream home. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back to The Andrea K Show. We started the show, first of all, uh, thank you again to Congressman Issa for coming on and talking about Obamacare, repeal and replace. We'll see what ends up happening with that, but we need to, we need to keep our eyes on that. 
um, at the top of the show, we were talking about the latest in fake news, and it's this stupid ongoing crap with the Russian collusion, the latest fake news story involves uh, Donald Jr. Uh, a couple days ago, I sat down with Cheryl Atkinson and talked about, uh, she was back on the show to talk about her latest book, The Smear. And it's about these fake news. What is this all about? It's about controlling your minds and controlling the voters so that they can continue to push the liberal agenda. So here is Cheryl Atkinson. Hey, Cheryl, welcome back to the Andrea K Show. Thank you. Okay, so your book, the much-anticipated book, I know I've certainly been anticipating it, The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, Think, and How You Vote. Um, what a perfect time for your book to come out. You know, with um, with the undercover videos of the CNN producer, you know, he's laughing about pushing the Russian collusion story, but it's really not funny, is it? It's not, and, you know, it was, it was hard to figure out when to put this book to bed because every time I tried to wrap it up, there would there were more events that were so relevant to the themes and yes you can just go on forever with this well let's talk about the themes in the book and you know uh, you know you talk about something called transactional journalism what is that that's the phrase i use to describe the relationships that journalists have that they never want to be seen necessarily behind the scenes with the people they're reporting on and not just the logistics and the things that we're supposed to discuss that come ahead of perhaps booking an interview, but the dealings that are done, the trades for information. Um, I've print a lot of emails that have been revealed through FOIA requests and even WikiLeaks with prominent journalists dealing, in my view, inappropriately behind the scenes with politicians and political interests who are dictating the coverage that they're going to get. The political interests, it's very clear with some journalists and outlets are able to tell them what they're going to report. They can dictate the timing and the format to use it to their own uh, advantage to advance a narrative. Hmm. It's pretty shocking. And some of these are top reporters, including two of them at Politico that are named either by themselves or by named by political operatives as being part of the system, who have since been promoted to the New York Times where they cover Donald Trump after being exposed as being part of this allegedly sort of democratic machine. Well, yeah, this whole investigation about Russia is supposedly about Russian collusion. But I think I started wondering with this video yesterday that that was revealed how much collusion was going on. Like you're talking about transactional journalism with CNN and people there at CNN with the Obama administration, with Democrat officials, um, the the deep state that we've talked about on the show. What what, is there anything there there in, in regards to this Russian hacking and CNN that you know of? You mean, um, is well, the, there a, with the transactional journalism? Yeah. Where's the, is there, do you, have you been able to connect the dots there in CNN with this transactional journalism you're talking about with operatives within the Democrat party and continuing to push this Russian narrative? Let me answer that two ways. Number one, I have no evidence or emails that shows anything like that. But number two, as you'll learn in the book from the people who work in this universe and who are operators, um, they are able to constantly pull strings among news organizations, including top news organizations, to get them on point, on the talking points, and to report the narratives the way they want. Mm -hmm. And the Russia story has all along, the way it emerged and the pathology that it followed, you know, follows directly the line of a narrative or a smear effort, as I call it, mm-hmm. um, basically because, as you know, there has been no public evidence, despite proclamations directly otherwise by top news organizations. And secondly, the, the speed with which it appeared and spread, the common phraseology and terms used across uh, many different news outlets, all of that smacks 
of an organized effort that may not be a legitimate and honest effort to get to the bottom of something, but may in fact may be pushing a narrative and perhaps to distract from another story. Because oftentimes when these things emerge, there's a there's a subplot. They're trying to get you to mm-hmm. look away from a different story. Yeah, you know, in the video, we see him talking about for ratings, but I really felt like it was more than that that's going on here. It's like you talk about they, um, the smear, how to, they want to control our minds and how we think and how we vote. I really think that part of the, one of the things that concerned me so much when I saw this video yesterday and as I started connecting the dots was, would we even have a special counsel right now if it had not been for the constant drumbeat from CNN and other media outlets pushing this fake news story that they knew was fake? Fake, getting the media, getting getting the public all, all upset, uh, thinking that maybe there is some there there because they're trusting this media outlet. Then, of course, you've got the Republican Party, you've got the Democrats piling on, and then you've got a Republican Party that's always fear-based, always reacting to whatever is pushed. They always kind of give in to whoever's bullying them. And so the Republicans give in, and then, then the investigation grows when maybe the overall objective is not really about ratings. Maybe there was some greater, greater uh, effort here because it sure seemed to mirror the goal of the Democrat Party, which was to undermine President Trump, and ultimately the the Democrats wanted him impeached, and this was going to be the way you know to bring him down. So to me, this was was a far greater, more disturbing story, I think, than it has been reported. I may be making more out of it than is there, but you know, I, I don't think so. No, I think you're right. I think when when the ratings go up as they accomplish the narrative that they're wishing to accomplish, that's like a self-licking ice cream cone. That's just icing on the cake. But that's not why they're doing it at its heart. It's just the uh, a, a byproduct that allows themselves to pat each other on the back and justify mm-hmm. what they're doing. But I don't think it's the motivation, the reason behind it. I don't think it's the first motivation, personally. Um, you know, it's funny. You were talking about uh, collusion with the uh, different political operatives and stuff and the transactional journalism. I was also thinking about it as you were describing that, the, and you were talking about relationships. It's gotten to where it's so incestuous, too, in terms of the relationships where you've got a spouse working at the highest levels of our government who's married to somebody at a high level in the media. Isn't that a factor, too, in terms of what's going on? It can be, but I think there are even bigger and more important influences. We have allowed political operatives, both Democrats and Republicans, as well as corporate operatives, we've invited them in the newsrooms. We've sort of allowed them to infiltrate, and they know exactly what they're doing. They're not just appearing as pundits, which is one thing. I mean, I think we're offering no value when we we have talking points, pundits on each side, not necessarily shedding light or giving information, but spreading narratives and trying to persuade us to come to their way of thinking. But secondly, we've invited them into our newsrooms as anchors and reporters and editorial personnel who actually shape and shift coverage and have access to what we're doing and what we're thinking. So now there's, in some instances, no longer any meaningful difference between the people who are trying to influence public opinion and the news people who are supposed to try to report on all of this fairly. And I think that's been an even bigger factor. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about George Stephan, Stephan, whatever, just Stephanopoulos, <laughs> who was like Bubba's boy in the White House. And next thing you know, he's anchor over on, you know, ABC and actually moderating debates. He And he, I can't remember who he was interviewing at one point. He was trying to bust somebody on something. And it might have even been President Trump. who was like, well, wait a second. Didn't you donate to the Clinton Foundation? How was George Stephanopoulos in any way considered to be a journalist? Well, he shouldn't be considered a neutral journalist. And I like George. I think he's good at some of the things that he does. But I maintain that if he was going to do any campaign coverage 
which I think is questionable whether he should have, that each time it had to have been announced that he worked on the Clinton campaign or it should have been disclosed each time because you may know this and I may know this, but there's a whole generation of people mm-hmm. that probably don't know George Stephanopoulos was a political operative before he was viewed as a you know, a lead anchor on a big show on the network. And there are many examples of this without the proper disclosures where they've worked their way you know, into the lexicon of news and, and appear to be to, to the outsiders someone who may be neutral and fair when in fact they they can't by definition be neutral and fair mm-hmm. and there's nothing necessarily wrong with with them giving opinions and appearing in that format but i think it should be presented as that and disclosed as that yeah absolutely and, and i think that they should be pr- pr- never allowed to moderate a debate Period. I think that should be that that should be just, you know, in fact, I don't even think that we should even have this is kind of going off topic, but I don't even believe that we should ever have moderators. I mean, give a topic and, you know, have an intern set a clock and each person gets a certain amount of time and that's it. Because, you know, to I me, that's, that would have, I was thinking like you too, what would be a good format and something like that for at least one of the debates was in my head as well, where we might actually learn something more. Or how about letting this is something else I thought of a political operative from each side like George Stephanopoulos politely ask the questions of the other with it fully disclosed and, and each other, the, mm-hmm. their support, the ones they support and the one they oppose. But at least it's up front and they're not masquerading as an unbiased news person. Mm-hmm. It is so it, that's a great idea, actually. And I and I throw my hat in the ring for that. I don't pretend to be anything. But, you know, I've never pretended to be a journalist. You're one of the few left. You know, there are people right now just saying that I think it was Camille Paglio who said, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing her name, who said, you know, journalism is so gone right now that it could be 30 years before it gets back on track and actually performs the function it's supposed to be, which is to be about a free and, and, and fair. Uh, uh, free press meant to hold every elected official accountable, not pushing an agenda. I don't mind if Trump or, or, or Spicer or any of the people get hard hitting questions, but it just seems as though it's done with an agenda. And, you know, it's it's scary to me. It's not just a, an exercise of debate or theory, but to see that we've now got these undercover videos under the name of American Pravda, because really that's where journalism has gone in this country. It truly is control the message and you control minds. And you look at that in conjunction with where we've gone in policy in this country, and it's no accident, it's no coincidence to me that the left has managed to successfully, and I know you're not a partisan, but the left managed to successfully take over the education and the media as well as Hollywood and that indoctrination and that that the manipulation of the minds has us now really far from what our country was founded on from a policy standpoint. And do you see journalism correcting itself now and getting us back to where it's going to be performing the role that it's supposed to perform? Or is it just gone and now every American needs to do their own research? I think that I don't see how it self-corrects because, first of all, I don't see that it has the will to. I don't see that we've, you know, learned much of anything after being so terribly wrong in campaign 2016. Some people are saying, well, now the media is going to have to examine itself. We're going to have to really see what we did and figure out how to get back to where we belong. Instead, we doubled down. I think things have only grown worse. So first, there has to be a recognition that there's a problem and then a desire to change things. And I don't see either one of those on a large scale. Not that there aren't great journalists and good, responsible reporters out there, but in general, those who are influencing the conversation, 
it didn't just happen overnight. I mean, they are, as I say, infiltrated and now deeply entrenched mm-hmm. in the news or in the news business. We're intertwined with all of these persuaders and astroturfers and propagandists. And, and again, in the book, I trace back to starting World War II, how this was all being tried out by both the U.S. to help us win the war and, of course, by Hitler's propagandist Goebbels mm-hmm. techniques. But if you look back to then, that you can see in practice today in our political system and, you know, among youth in our media. And I, I think it all, you know, it all mm-hmm. mushroomed and ended up where we are today. And I, I don't see how we go back. I, I certainly hope we do do some sort of self-correction, but I don't see that in the in the near future. Yeah, and unfortunately, every American is kind of like a mushroom. You know, we're being kept in the dark, you know, from the in terms of the news organizations and they're feeding us BS, you know, pretty much, um, which is which is kind of disturbing. Um, what else can people learn from the book? How else are we being manipulated? Good. <laughs> well, um, you know, there are ways you don't even think about. Um, there are government forces, corporate interests and political interests who have software, including our government, as I said, that maintain fake social media accounts. They allow up to, say, 20 actors at a time to maintain networks of social media on Twitter, Facebook, and so on that look like real personalities that talk to each other and other people, but the sole purpose is for them to influence and sway opinion, make people think that there's a reality or a, mm. an opinion that doesn't really exist. I think that's fascinating how they operate. I also think things you don't even think of, like the comment section of federal rules. We're all allowed to comment on them before a rule comes instituted. But I bet most of your listeners have never gotten online and commented on a, on a federal rule or would even know how to do it. Yet comments flood them, but because the astroturfers and the corporate interests and the political interests have figured out how to dominate them as if they're real people and swaying rules before they're passed. And so they don't just sway laws and they don't just sway the news and politicians. They've just figured out how to get into the corner of of everything. And one last thing, you may not know that many editorials and papers, letters to the editor, are ghostwritten by paid interest but signed by somebody else. And the newspapers often know this. And I've interviewed people who are involved in this for the book. And so even letters to the editor are put out there for a reason to make you think a certain way, not even by the people necessarily who have signed their name at the bottom. Wow. The book is The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, Think, and How You Vote. People must get this book. How can they find it? Uh, just look, I think, look just about anywhere. The yeah. Smear, bookstores, but also Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, iBooks, and all of that. I appreciate it very much. And your show, Full Measure. I do not miss an episode. I, I mention it frequently frequently on my show as, as a source. Uh, one of the things that I talked about recently was you did a segment about how people are basically through fundraising buying uh, uh, committee chair seats. Yep, yep. And that's uh, that's my Sunday program. You can find out when it's on or just watch replays at fullmeasure.news. It's run by the broadcast company Sinclair, and they've given me, you know, free editorial reign. I go through editorial processes with lawyers and um, ethics people, but they have not influenced at all, unlike what's happening at many other news organizations. They have not predetermined how a story must come out. They haven't hidden facts or, you know, tried to make the stories be rewritten to, sh- to show a certain thing that doesn't exist. So I've been very pleased. This is the end of our second season. Real journalism, real news that you can trust. Cheryl Atkinson, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. Well, journalism may be imploding, as Rush said this morning, um, which is what this whole stupid Don Jones... 
Donald Jr. story is all about. But there are some real journalists out there in that Cheryl Ackeson. Such an honor to have her here. I am now honored to have Joe Imperatrice on with me from Blue Lives Matter in New York City. I'm going to try to speak to him without getting teary because whenever I think about Officer Familia, see, I can't even say her name, and the sacrifice that she made in the line of duty for fellow New Yorkers and Americans is just so touching to me. And um, here to talk about her, and I believe her funeral was this morning, is Joe Imperatrice. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, how are you? Good afternoon. Oh, well, um, well, I'm great. Thank you. Um, but I think all Americans are, have a heavy heart today in remembering Officer Familia and the sacrifice that she made for us and for Americans. I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about de Blasio and his, and his trip abroad, um, because this is a time for mourning, isn't it? It is, and I'm actually leaving from the funeral, and uh, it's definitely an emotional day for the NYPD. This incident reminds us of December 20, 2014, when Detectives Will Ramos were sitting in their patrol car and executed. And uh, last week, the same incident happens to a mother of three, children ages 20, two twins age 12, and I was at the wake last night as well. And uh, seeing these children, they're just, just like zombies. They they. Mm. They aren't able to fully take in, not knowing what tomorrow's going to bring now that they don't have their mother to uh, be there with them. And today was just an amazing day in the sense that police departments from all over the nation came to support the largest police department in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, officers were consoling each other. They were shedding tears. Mm. They're standing in the heat, all to show their respects. And tomorrow and tonight, we'll be back out there serving the greatest city of New York, because that's what we do. Well, and that's what police officers do all around this great nation. And that's why it's been particularly upsetting to me and others to see the demonization that has been done of police officers. I don't know the motives of, of the person who assassinated Officer Familia, but we do know the motives in Dallas and in BR, Baton Rouge, where I'm from, and other uh, attacks on police officers that have been been motivated by and inspired by the constant fake narrative that has been beat into Americans over the past eight years that the police officers are all um, the are systemically racist and that they've got a target on all black people's backs and they're just gunning black people down in the street for no reason. It seems as though now that we've got a change in the administration, we're not seeing that kind of rhetoric all the time. But once those fans have been flame, flames have been fanned, it's kind of hard. It's still smoldering. What do you what do you say about what do you have to say this about this? Definitely, this is definitely a rough month, being July. If I'm correct, it's about the one year anniversary of what happened to the Dallas officers. Yeah. Yes. It's going to be the ten year anniversary on the 14th that Russell Timoshenko was shot and killed um, over in East New York in Brooklyn, and uh, it's not easy. And you have people like George Lopez who, because of their platform, think it's funny or think they're going to get a stir about things they're going to say, and it incites people, just mm -hmm. like certain political figures, and these people listen to them. And you have these emotionally disturbed individuals who buy into it, and they go and they end up assassinating innocent officers doing their job. There's a New York State trooper the other day that was going to and was shot by an individual that, that wasn't completely stable either. Mm -hmm. And uh, in New York City, since 2014, we have six officers shot and killed with the administration that we have. And uh, you see a lot of the Facebook star and people speaking yeah. about, oh, how could the mayor go here or go there? And you know what? I, I do agree with it. it. It would be great having a leader yeah. to stand there and comfort New York City. But at this point, 
four years in, you know what you're getting. Yeah. And to be honest, it doesn't matter if the mayor was there for the vigil because you're not going to take Officer Familia's life and bring her back. Right. It is a breath of fresh air having a president like Donald Trump changing from what we had um, in the sense of when he first ended up finding out that he won, he goes on national television, thanks to the military and first yeah. responders. And those individuals, they feel uplifted because of it. And they go out there and do, they do their job much, much better. And they give a better product to the community because mm-hmm. they're appreciated. So it is with this administration slowly changing and especially law enforcement does appreciate the way President Trump does interact with the community. Well, you kind of answer my question because my, my last question for you was going to be, how can we change the, how can we turn that around, this negative sentiment and the, the falsehoods that have been painted against police officers? And I think one of the ways that we do it is it does start from leadership and thanking police officers for their sacrifice and stopping pushing that falsehood is one thing that we can do because that so far all we've heard is that it's all the fault of the police communities and, and the police officers and it's their job to go and, you know, stop the spread of falsehoods and, and fix fix a problem that they did not create. So um, what I like to do is I like to say that law enforcement is like the all-star team of the United States in the sense of you have everybody from every part of the world wearing that uniform mm-hmm. and they stand up for everything that is good. Right. And I think people get tied up with all the fake and negative news that's coming out there and don't don't understand that these are regular human beings going out there and putting their lives on the line. Something President Obama said when Donald Trump was elected, which I always remember, is if people want change, you have to go out there and vote or be the change. And this is our chance now with the election coming up in New York City for people to get out there. And if they're fed up and they want to see a change and they want somebody who's going to appreciate law enforcement and lawfulness, you go out there and you vote. And that's how you change it. And it does start with the top and with the leadership, but it also starts with the community and us as civilians going out there and thanking the police officers. And that's how Blue Lives Matter NYC, we want to start an organization that respected and appreciated police officers from within, who know on an everyday basis what they're going through. And people have been changed seeing what we've done for them. And uh, that's what we need. If, if you want to be the change or see the change, you got to be the change. Um, you can complain all you want about something, but yeah. that doesn't mean because you put up a Facebook rant that all of a sudden tomorrow things are going to be different. It's not. Okay. You have to go out there and put you know, your, your money where your mouth is and make that positive change because that's the only time things are going to come around and really happen. How can people get more information on your organization and get involved? Well, the first thing, we actually just released a video about seven, eight days ago with the officers' families of Ramos, Lou, and Tuazolo. You can go to beyondtheline.us and see that video. We've got uh, three-quarter of a million views as of right now. We started up a fund for Officer uh, Mysotis Familia. Uh, you can go to Blue Lives Matter, NYC.org. And we also released special commemorative shirts in our memory where 100% of the proceeds are going to go to the family at a later date. Oh, um, any questions, they can reach us at uh, our website, our Gmail account, Blue Lives Matter, NYC.com, uh, .org, and at gmail.com. All right, Joe, thank you so much for being here, and God bless you and all the police officers. Thank you very much. All right. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to collect myself because I'm all moved here, and then we're going to talk to... Alarius. The silky Alarius is back with me. It's been too long, baby. Glad you're back. Don't go anywhere. More Andrea K. Show coming right back up. Be sure to follow Andrea K. on Twitter at Andrea K. Show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Kay, spelled K A Y E. 
Statistics have shown that at some point you will die. In fact, I could die during this commercial. Now that I have your attention, this is tax and estate planning attorney Rod Hatley of the Hatley Law Group. Because life happens, it makes sense to have an estate plan in place much the same way you probably have life insurance to provide for your family. An estate plan is a set of instructions for how you want your assets to be passed on in a way that works for you and your loved ones. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back to the Andrea K Show. Thanks to everybody out there watching via Facebook Live. Don't forget to share that video. The, I, I love doing the Facebook Live. The only thing is that I don't get to play a lot of my favorite bumper music. I was uh, heard a song from Jane's Addiction earlier, and I thought, oh, I would love to play that today. It's mine. I don't know if you know that song. It's a mine. Mine on mine. mine. Yeah. Yeah. I would have loved. So, okay, we did it. We got it out there. All right. Finally, back with me in studio to talk about taxes and all things cool is the cool man himself. And we can't play his bumper song either, G Thang. He's the OG of taxes, the original gangster, none other than Al Arias. How did I get this gangster stuff? <laughs> <laughs> You, well, because you know what? For a long time, you were the Spicoli of taxes because you were like Mr. Cool. But then you came, then we started doing Facebook Live and you came in here and you got your shades on, the jacket. You were looking, you were looking more Dr. Dre than you were Spicoli because you don't wear board shorts and like a Hawaiian shirt. So then you became more gangsta. Sometimes I wear Hawaiian shirts on Fridays. Oh, okay. Well, see, on Fridays, you'd be Spicoli. On Tuesdays, you come in here, you're Dr. Dre. Okay. <laughs> now- we are almost at the August recess. We still don't have Obamacare repealed, let alone replaced. We don't have comprehensive tax reform. To me, it, which these were two big pieces that Trump ran on. His expertise is in negotiating and in business and all things that affect business. But he's been hamstrung by a Republican Congress. Like you've got these people like Susan Collins in Maine that you know really need to change their you know affiliation to the Socialist Party. And I really think that the mistake was trying to do these big comprehensive bills versus taking a little bite at a time. He, he they should have just done a straight repeal on Obamacare. Big. Yeah, but you know what? Here we've got nothing right now. Thank goodness we had over we over exceeded expectations in June on the jobs report. Um, I think I think we still have some jump starts in the economy on anticipation and expectation. Now we've got to have some policy that's going to actually assist that as well. Some people are saying, you know what? Forget this big comprehensive tax reform program. We just need to do it a bite at a time. If someone were to come to you and say, Al, we want you to be leading the charge for us and advising us on tax reform. Give me one thing that we should do with the Trump administration that will help corporations, which will then in turn help job growth and the economy. What would you suggest? Well, you went all over the place. Of course uh, I did, baby, because that's what I do. <laughs> now you got to drill down, OG. Well, I think you that see. the alternative minimum tax is uh, creating incredible complexity. Nobody can do anything without a computer and a software that can handle the alt-min. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we're going for simplification, getting rid of the alt-min right away simplifies big time. Okay. Tell people what the alt-min is. Alternative minimum tax? Yeah. Well, For those who, who can say what it is? What it is, is a alternative calculation of your income tax. 
So if you follow all the rules Mm -hmm. and uh, complete your tax return, you completed the tax return on the regular Mm -hmm. tax. Okay. You're not done. You have to do the alternative calculation. Okay. The alternative calculation basically creates a bunch of items that are said to be tax preferences and adds them back to taxable income. Oh my gosh. But okay, you lost me already, baby. Right. But it doesn't stop there mm-hmm. because uh, tax deductions uh, are included or excluded mm-hmm. from this calculation, including uh, the deduction of uh, regular taxes Okay. Like real estate, your right. taxes on real estate, your taxes on income. Right. And uh, certain other deductions like miscellaneous deductions right. are all disallowed and added back to taxable income. So you have to know what all these things mean. Uh, it's all about the terms. That's where the complexity is. Mm-hmm. But uh, virtually anybody that makes more than uh, $80,000, $85,000 of alternative minimum taxable income as computed. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. It's subject to the alt-min. Okay. So uh, if you make, you know, $100,000, chances are you're probably going to be subject to alternative minimum taxes. So you go along um, withholding on your earnings if you're a wage earner. Mm-hmm. and uh, hoping to have your taxes covered, and then they're not covered because okay, but for your deductions. Yeah, well, businesses, business, most businesses are pass-through entities. So they're partnerships yeah. or um, S-corporations. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, they're overpaying their taxes. Okay, so so for to simplify for the individual, you're saying get rid of the alt men. For businesses, what would be we've well, got that, two minutes that left. affects that, that affects, affects business. businesses. Okay, um, but it doesn't affect small businesses, and big businesses pay taxes generally speaking at a higher rate. Yeah, so they're not subject to the alternative minimum tax. Okay, the alternative minimum tax rate. For most people, is twenty eight percent, including mm-hmm. corporations. Okay, well, that's way too high for corporations. We got to get the. I think. I think. They well, need there to, you go. But yeah. see, it's it's like a gross income tax. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because your deductions don't count. Oh. Your you. allowed okay, deductions yeah. don't count. So, well, the, what they're talking about doing for the corporations is lowering the corporate tax rate down to, I think, 13% or something like that, but then removing deductions for corporations. So have, if they do that, have they really achieved anything that's beneficial uh, for well, job growth? And anything that creates simplicity uh, is beneficial to business because okay. businesses, small businesses have advisors. They don't have staffs. Right. Big business has huge staffs that can deal with the complexities and uh, simplify things or or make compliant Mm -hmm. their taxes. So you the compliant taxes will be lower because of all of the thinking and planning that goes into it. Okay. So you are basically for the small business owner, like a staff, like what a big corporation would have. Because big corporations have people like you on the payroll that work with them and inside all the time, right? Not like me, but, but they have people on the yeah, payroll. Yeah, they have people on the payroll. 
So how can people get a hold of you? Because well, I don't know that any tax reform is going to happen anytime soon, but they can, you can, you can still work with them because you do a year round strategy and anticipation of what's going to happen and, and help them out anyway. Right. Yes. Well, I'm available by email, avarius at aviariasco.com mm-hmm. or by text at uh, 619-884-7503. Mm-hmm. Or by telephone, 619-296-2123. Now, next time you come on, I wonder, I actually had Rod fill in for me um, for 4th of July last week, and he answered a question for a listener that they had in terms of how does... Uh, a business owner protect his personal assets um, and through tax strategies. So, um, well, I how to- about starting by organizing correctly? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that helps. All right, we got to leave it there. Get a hold of Al if you need if you need his wisdom on taxes for your business. All right, I got to get to hero of the week and stink of the week. Um, put it out there to my listeners. As always, you guys are geniuses. The hero of the week comes from Jack H. Hansen. He says Trump is the hero of the week for his speech in Poland. He defined the entire problem with the West and how those want to end it, and how they must stand with Poland, not the leftists of the West like Merkel, Macron, May, Trudeau, etc. Great speech, defining moment in the history of the West. Agreed. Runner-up for Hero of the Week is Officer Familia. Stink of the Week has to go to Trudeau out of Canada, who took a terrorist responsible for the death of Americans and decided to make him into a hero to the tune of 10 million dollars. Spitting on the dead Americans as well as spitting on our country and President Trump. I wouldn't even, not only do I not want to go to Canada, I don't want to fly over to Canada. I don't even want to spit in your general direction, Trudeau and Canada. But I love you, Al. Thank you, Congressman Issa, for being on the show. Thank you, Cheryl Atkinson. Thank you to everybody watching and on Facebook Live. Don't forget to share the video. And thank you, DJ Carrot Sticks. Bring him into the right. Into the right.